Hey folks, Steve Splonskowski here along with Brandon Clark and we're coming to you live from Hotel Sturgis in Sturgis, South Dakota. And uh, we are excited to be here with you. Thank you for joining us. Our show today is brought to you in part by Western Applicating Services, uh, selling ca- oh. kaput. Kaput. Okay, I didn't want to say that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> selling kaput products for Prairie Dog and Gopher Control. They can be contacted at 605-390-3200 or online at westernapplicating.com. So we thank them for making uh, this show in, in part making this show po- this possible today and uh, we're going to move into our next uh segment in a second here with uh, father timothy castor there we go we got the phone lines being dialed up warmed up we sure and do. Uh, this is straight talk as you know on real presence live your opportunity to call in and grill the priest no no ask <laughs> ask father questions um, so that phone number is 877-795-0122. You can also send your questions in on Facebook. And today we're Facebook living, so you have to see my ugly mug. But you get to see Brandon and Father on here. And two of us are bearded, Father. Yes. Brandon is not. One of these is not like the others. But we're praying for him. <laughs> <laughs> I try really hard. I focus every day yeah. trying to grow the beard. It'll come. It'll One day, come. right? I see a shadow. Yep. <laughs> 877-795-0122 is the call-in number. 877-795-0122. Again, as Steve said, it's Straight Talk, your opportunity to call in with questions on the faith or things happening in the world around us. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things that may not make sense, and so we try to make sense of those on straight talk and look at everything from a Catholic perspective. So, Father, as we're waiting for our first call to come in this morning, uh, let's just start with this. Anything on your heart, anything that you would like to uh, share with listeners this morning that uh, the Holy Spirit might be inspiring you to say? Well, the, I guess the first thing I want to say is, uh, you, you know, I was introduced as the pastor of uh, St. Francis of Assisi here in Sturgis, but I want to give a shout out to my parishioners in Newell at St. Mary Star of the Sea. Uh, that's our sister parish. And um, if you're listening out there, good morning to you. So you have the parish here in Sturgis mm-hmm. and also the parish in Newell. That's right. All right. Mm-hmm. Very good. Excellent. So 877-795-0122. If you'd like to call in with a question for Father Castor, 877-795-0122. Now we do, as Steve mentioned a little earlier, have a an in-studio audience this morning, and uh, they've been submitting some questions. Mm. Yeah. So I feel like my parishioners are ganging <laughs> up on me. Well, they are kind of surrounding you. Yes, surrounded. True, if you're watching yeah. on Facebook Live. So. so they're either praying for you or ganging up. Let's say they're praying for you. Yes, okay. yes, that, absolutely. That so uh, let's, <clears throat> let's go through a couple of these while we uh, wait for our first caller. So Blaze submitted a question. He said... Are prayers and good works efficacious in the state of mortal sin? If not, do they have any merit at all? That is a good question, Blaze. Well, I think the short answer is uh, they are not efficacious because if we're dead in sin, the life of grace is dead within us, then our works are dead. Our works cannot gain merit uh, from a state of... of, um, mortality, let's say, of death. Um, however, 
Uh, I, I would say, and this is an opinion, I'm not sure if this is what the, the uh, official teaching of the church, but the, I would say that once one returns to a state of grace, um, that there is sort of retroactive merit attached to those acts that you did. So, uh, you know, I don't think God ignores anything that is done in faith and, and out of love. Uh, so even though they, they may not have any merit at the time that you are uh, performing those, those good works or saying those prayers, um, they can still uh, obtain grace in a, in a uh, uh, like I say, a retroactive way. Can I, can I jump in with a follow-up, Father? Just sure. to, to, to Because it, I think you bring up a great point, and it might actually point to a, a beautiful truth. So if, in state of mortal sin, our, our prayers are not efficacious, maybe even not for ourselves, how valuable is it that others are praying for those who are in that state of mortal sin so that they do turn, return to the church, oh, to the goodness. faith, right? Yeah. Speak to that if you have a, I mean, any thoughts on that. Well, absolutely. I mean, the, the, you know, the, our prayers are, you know, the, the scripture says the prayers of a righteous man, uh, you know, uh, have great, uh, avail much, you know. So they, if, if you're in a state of grace and you're praying, if for someone who's not, a, you know, that's a, that's an act of charity, uh, for one thing, and an act of faith that you know, that God will bring that person out of that uh, state of sin. And, um, yeah, that's a powerful thing to do, I would say, definitely. Blaze, thanks so much for submitting that question. If you happen to be in the studio audience and you have a question for Father Castor, just let us know, and we'll be sure to get that to him. Otherwise, you can call 877-795-0122 or submit your question on Facebook as we're streaming on Facebook Live this morning. Uh, Brandon Clark, Programming Coordinator with uh, Steve Splonskowski, and of course our guest, Father Timothy Castor, um, the two bearded men. It's just awesome to grow a beard, isn't it? I, I don't know what it's like, but... It's hard work. <laughs> <laughs> I Eight think about it constantly. <laughs> 877-795-0122. We did get a question on Facebook, uh, Father, and it says, I'm grateful for Father Castor and feel blessed that he baptized my daughter. During her baptism, he placed her on the altar. Can you give a little background on why this is done? Well, this, I don't know that this is a common practice, but it is a traditional uh, practice that um, some priests do. Uh, it, it's, uh, you know, the, the final prayers of the solemn rite of baptism are uh, prayers of, of blessing, prayers of commending the child to God. Um, and so it seems appropriate to do that at the altar. And uh, if the child is, is small enough, you know, I think it, it's uh, appropriate to, to place the child on the altar. It's a sign that this is a gift that has given, been given us by God, is given to his parents, his, his family, his friends. Uh, a gift given to the church, but a, a gift that um, is just entrusted to us for a time. And as that child grows older and begins to... Um, move out on his own and, uh, and uh, begin to live uh, his or her life, um, uh, especially the life of uh, faith, they're going to come back to the altar. They're going to come back for the sacrament of uh, confirmation. They're going to come back for the sacrament of uh, Most Holy Communion. They're going to come back for um, perhaps marriage. And, um, or maybe uh, if it's a, a boy, he'll stand before the altar one day and, and be consecrated a priest. Um, and I always, I always try to, when I have a boy, I always, you know, kind of look into his eyes and see, you know, 
um, I, I think he's I think he's likes that idea, you know. <laughs> 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 um, hey, it doesn't hurt to plant a seed, right? Uh, so that's that's why I do it, and it is a. I've I've found that families are really moved by that, um, and uh, and I do try to explain it too as 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 we do that. I can tell you too, as a, we have seven children, and each one of my children baptized with the same thing mm-hmm. at the at the cathedral in Vargo, and brought them to the altar and said, "This is this is the where the family gathers. This is the celebration, mm-hmm. and this is where we." Uh, Worship, kind of almost like a presentation to yeah, the Lord yeah. sure. in the temple, yep. Yep. almost exactly. historical. So, exactly. and it was meaningful to us. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well, thanks so much for that question. You can submit your question on Facebook or give us a call at eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two. We're broadcasting live from the Hotel Sturgis this morning, and uh, we've got coffee and donuts and uh, a bunch of wonderful people here listening. So, if you happen to be in the area and want to stop down and uh, enjoy some of this fun, you certainly can. And we'd be happy to uh, visit with you and uh, even hear your question. And uh, we do have another question from the listening audience. It's uh, from seven-year-old Maya. She says, what does it mean in Genesis after Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the tree that God came down from heaven? Did he physically come down? How did he do that? (laughs) I, that sounds like someone who is homeschooled in a beautiful Catholic family. So I would just say, Maya, thank you for that question. <clears throat> you know, God is pure spirit. Um, he can take any form he, he wishes to take. Um, when he was incarnate, the Virgin Mary, when he was made one of us, um, that was not just an appearance of a human being, but that was a real human being. Um, with a real soul and body, um, united with uh, his uh, divine nature. Um, Now, in the book of Genesis, uh, first of all, uh, we're talking in uh, very symbolic language here, Uh, but certainly uh, God can take the form of a a man um, uh, if he wishes to do so, and uh, it would appear that that's, that's kind of how he appeared to Adam and Eve when he came into the garden, because it says he walked with them. And uh, <clears throat> there's an interaction there that, that sounds very much like an interaction with uh, another person that's visible before them. Uh, but God is everywhere, and uh, God can make himself known in any way he chooses. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I Sorry to have a follow-up, but everything you're saying is making me think of something. So, would that, the, when the the Lord came to the garden, would that have been, which person of the Trinity would that have been? Do we know that? Um, I don't think so. It's I've always clear. assumed it's God the Father, but um, certainly the, you know, all Three persons of the Trinity are, are involved in the creation of the world. The world's created through Christ, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so um, it could very well have been, uh, you know, a, a pre-vision, or well, I don't know what the right word is, mm-hmm. of, uh, of Jesus, you know, because uh, there are other places in the Old Testament where um, a man appears um, and is recognized as God. Right. You know. Or the three angels that appeared to Abraham right, right? Yes. as the Trinity. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hmm. 
877-795-0122. That's the number you can call to ask your question to of Father Timothy Castor on Straight Talk as we continue here from the Hotel Sturgis. 877-795-0122. You can also submit your question on Facebook as one person has this morning. Or it seems to be a popular theme. We have uh, some more in-studio questions. <laughs> so... Uh, I told you they were ganging up. Yes, <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> so we have Larry, I, I believe it's Larry. Uh, he wants to know why we only say the Stations of the Cross during Lent and not the rest of the year. Okay. Well, you can say the Stations of the Cross anytime you wish. I'm sure you know that. Uh, but why, as a community, do we just do it during Lent? Well, um, it's especially appropriate during Lent as, as a, you know, an extra liturgical uh, act of devotion and um, you know there are um, uh, indulgences attached to saying the stations in, in community in that way um, so it's uh, certainly most appropriate during Lent when our hearts and minds are being drawn to the uh, suffering and death of Jesus um, you know but uh, if I, I would guess that if there was a strong devotion to that in a, a, a parish, that certainly they could do it any time of year. For example, you know, if a parish has a dedication to the, the Holy Cross, you know, okay. um, something like that. Um, that's always been one of my favorite devotions. And um, as a priest, you know, especially with multiple parishes, I get to do it two or three times a week. Uh, but um, it, you know, even before I became a Catholic, I was drawn to that devotion. And, um, you know, when I had the opportunity, um, I would, you know, take, either go into a Catholic church, like at a retreat center, um, or there was a, a very, very high church, um, Episcopal church that I used to go to, you know, where they were more Catholic than the Pope, and <laughs> or tried to be anyway. <laughs> and uh, they had Stations of the Cross in their church, and I would go through and, and do them there. So, yeah, do them. Do them anytime. Uh, they're, they're, it's always good. It's always uh, beneficial. And um, don't just wait for Lent. Uh, Follow-up question. I'm going to take Steve's... Uh... <laughs> Take a, a note from Steve's book. Uh, so, why do you think some some of us Catholics have have in mind that stations are only done during Lent? Any thoughts on that? Well, because that's their experience. Mm -hmm. You know, the the uh, it's the tradition, and and so there's uh, the the thought that that's that's the only time we can do it. I I don't know that that Catholics think that it's forbidden any other time of the year. Um, but it's just our lived experiences that we do it during Lent. Hmm. Yeah, we're, this, we're coming to you live from Sturgis, South Dakota. This is Straight Talk. If you want to get your question in there, you call 877-795-0122, or you can submit your question online on Facebook. We're coming to you live from uh, on Facebook Live as well. Father, and you were just reminded me that you are a convert mm -hmm. to the Catholic faith. Um, and in, in your answer to the question, you used the word indulgences. And I thought, you might be in a good opportunity if you're uh, kind of share with, because obviously we're Real Presence Radio is a Catholic radio network, but we're, we have Christian brothers and sisters, other Christian brothers and sisters who listen to us mm -hmm. quite a bit, we hear. Mm -hmm. So help them understand that word indulgences obviously has a history of negative yeah. connotation <laughs> sure. um, kind of gets thrown in our face sometimes but um, it's not it's certainly not something that the church has moved away from it mm -hmm. is but we've explained it better um, and you as a as a convert to the Catholic faith how would you help your um, you know 
our Christian brethren understand sure, that concept? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's not permission to commit sin. <laughs> it's sometimes mistaken that way. Um, the other thing I like to, to say is the, um, there's a, a famous priest of um, early part of the, or mid part of the 20th century, Father Leonard Feeney. Uh, he was a radio priest and a, an apologist. And uh, when he would be challenged by um, non-Catholics about some of these things in the history of the church, like the sale of indulgences, which took place in, at some at one point, um, he, he would say, uh, you know, I wish there was someone with enough faith nowadays to buy one. Um, but no we don't sell indulgences anymore Um, and really it was never uh, a a practice that was approved by the church even when it was taking place but an indulgence is the uh, partial or complete remission of uh, sin that has been forgiven the guilt of which has been forgiven in the uh, sacrament of uh, penance and reconciliation um, which will, which is, in, you know, comes out of the the uh, storehouse, the treasury of grace and of merit that is in heaven, that has been accumulated first of all by our Lord Jesus Christ, whose merit is infinite, our Blessed Mother Mary, all the saints, um, all the uh, you know the acts that, that we do. Um, go into that treasury of, of merit and then the church has the authority, you know, the binding and loosing authority, the authority of the keys to distribute that grace of that of that merit to um, individuals uh, who participate in particular devotions and the, the church determines what those things are, whether they gain a, a, a full indulgence, a plenary indulgence as it's called or a partial indulgence. Um, so it, does, your sin has to be forgiven. There's, I always yeah. tell people there's two parts to sin. There's, there's the guilt of the sin, and then there's the effect or the the consequences or the, you know the result of the sin. And the the one the, you know the guilt is is what's forgiven, is what's taken away in confession, um, so that we can stand before God. Uh, but the effects of the sin are are still there, you know, and and so they also have to be taken care of and sometimes the effects are very real you know like uh, uh, killing someone or stealing someone's money or whatever but also the, the it affects kind of the the fabric of the universe in a way you know it kind of disturbs the 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 way in which god has created things and that has to be corrected and uh, and that's where the uh, reparation comes in that we do and, and also the, the merits that that we uh, can gain through indulgence prayers if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Straight Talk here on Real Presence Live. It's your chance to call in and ask questions of Father Timothy Castor. He's our guest. He is the pastor at uh, St. Francis of Assisi in uh, Sturgis, and then also St. Mary Star of the Sea in Newell, South Dakota. He's taking your questions this morning, whether via phone, whether via Facebook, or here in studio. Um, and we do have a couple questions, but talking about indulgences made me think about the month we're in. And that's November, yep. right, which is the month dedicated to the souls in purgatory. And when we approached you to, uh, to have you on the radio and asked, you know, what topics do you like to talk about? You, you were very particular in talking about November being dedicated to the souls in purgatory. Can you just talk a little bit about your devotion to the souls and the importance of praying for them? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they don't get prayed for enough is, is my uh, conviction. And um, 
almost every penance that I give in, in uh, confession is uh, prayers for the the souls in purgatory, mm. uh, because I I just believe they you know they need our prayers um, and uh, we can't do it enough. But yeah, during the, um, the month of November, there's a special uh, devotion uh, and special remembrance of the souls. is based on the fact that we celebrate All Saints Day on the first and All Souls Day on the second. And um, <clears throat> so, uh, one of the things that that the church uh, gives us as a, a beautiful gift is um, during the first eight days of November. Uh, which of course were passed now, but during those first eight days, if you visit a cemetery and say some prayers in the cemetery for the deceased, um, uh, you can gain a plenary indulgence, a, com a full remission of uh, the punishment due to a sin that has been forgiven, f uh, a plenary indulgence for a soul in purgatory. Um, you can even name that soul if you, if you like. If that soul doesn't need it, that merit will go to somebody else. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great gift that we can do, and I, tr I try to promote that um, every parish that I'm in. And it's something, you know, I think the, the faithful love because it's, it's a very practical thing yeah. to do. And, uh, and yet it's not, a, it's not a superstitious thing. It's, it's based in prayer and faith, you know, not in, you know, if I do this uh, act as, you know, uh, somehow it's going to influence God. Um, no, it's, a, it's, a, it's an act of uh, faith and prayer. And any time during the year, um, uh, you can say, if you go into a cemetery and pray, uh, you can gain a, a partial indulgence. Um, cemeteries are sacred places, you yeah. know, like a church. Yeah. Um, I always try to tell that to young people that, you know, I take into the cemetery. It's not a not a spooky place. It's not a scary place. Not an evil place by all means. Mm. The cemetery is a holy place um, and a place where we uh, where we pray. We do have a caller on the phone uh, who has a question. We've got Claire listening on AM twelve eighty and Holly. Good morning, Claire. Good morning. And what is your question for Father Castor this morning? Um, my question was concerning the first reading this morning about the mother who lost her seven sons, I was wondering how her sorrow um, is, is compared or is comparable to Mary's sorrow at losing at the crucifixion. Well, thank you, Claire. Um, you know, I think any mother who loses a child shares in that suffering that, that Mary experienced at the foot of the cross and uh, during the whole passion it, itself and um, <clears throat> there's you know that incident that we read about in Maccabees is a foreshadowing I believe of the uh, experience that that Mary had losing her only son um, just as uh, you know Abraham offering his son Isaac was a foreshadowing of God offering his son on the cross so, um, yeah, there definitely is a, a connection there, you know, none, none of these things are mere coincidence. Um, but uh, sharing in that suffering um, is, is what we're all called to do in our particular state in life, in our particular vocation. Uh, for a mother, it can't be any greater than, than the loss of a child. So, Claire, does that help? Um, I was wondering, with that, they... I heard somewhere that um, if the grief that Mary felt 
um, at the crucifixion was spread around um, all the humans. They all die instantly because it was so great. Would the mother of the seven have a similar grief to that? Hmm. You know, I, I would say n no. I, I mean, it object uh, subjectively, yes, because, uh, you know, her experience is that of a, a one person, just as Mary's experience was that of, of one person. However, the, the magnitude of the grief is certainly greater according to the magnitude of the loss and the, uh, the magnitude of the individual who has experienced the loss. So I would say from an, uh, an objective point of view, uh, Mary's grief was, was certainly far, far greater than the grief of the, of the mother in Maccabees. Claire, thanks so much for calling in this morning. Father, we do have a couple of other questions I want to be sure we get to. We have Anna in the studio audience. She wants to know, what do you recommend for a good examination of conscience? Well, the, the easiest one, and I think the most uh, effective one, is to simply go through the Ten Commandments. And, um, you know, there are any number of uh, examines that are published, you know, that you can find online, that you can find in the literature rack of your church, that are based on the Ten Commandments, and, you know, that take you through each one and, and kind of ask, you know, pose questions that have to do with each one of those commandments. And, um, and I recommend using something like that. Um, I, I don't know if you're asking for a particular title of one. Um, I don't have anything on offhand at the moment. I know that there are actually uh, smartphone apps that you can get that will take you through an examination of conscience. And I've, I've been um, a number of times with people in the confessional where they've used, they have their phone right in front of them and they're going through that. And it, it seems like it's a very effective way of examining your conscience and, and very helpful to people. Some of the best, um, you know, most thorough confessions I've heard have been those that were done with those apps. So that's a, that's a good way to go, you know, just do a search on those uh, app stores. Anna, I hope that helps. Thanks for submitting your question. If you're just tuning in, this is Straight Talk here on Real Presence Live. We're broadcasting this morning from the Hotel Sturgis in Sturgis, South Dakota. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon Clark, joined with Executive Director Steve Splonskowski. Our guest this morning, Father Timothy Castor, and uh, he's taking your questions. So uh, it looks like we do have a couple minutes if you did want to call in at 877-795-0122, 877-795-0122. We do have another question from the in-studio audience. Um, and th th this is, this is a, I'm particularly interested in this one. So Marianne asks, um, I understand when you were young, you saw the picture of the Sacred Heart of Jesus in a friend's home and she is wondering if it left you with a desire to learn more about the Catholic Church. Yes, uh, thanks, Marianne. That's that was that happened when I was a, a teenager and I was a babysitter in my neighborhood, and um, uh, I was babysitting uh, for two small boys, and they were asleep, uh, and th it was a Catholic home. And um, and so in in one of the rooms of the home that I remember exactly where it was it was in the sewing room. Um, there was a large uh, portrait of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, 
And I was just fascinated by that. Now, at this point in my life, I knew very little about the Catholic Church or about the devotions that are practiced in the Catholic Church. But just that, that image of, of Jesus exposing his heart aflame with love um, just captivated me. And it was one of those paintings that no matter where you stand in the room, it's looking straight at you, you know? And that also fascinated me. I can remember you know, moving to different <laughs> parts of the room and, and feeling, wow, he's, he's looking right at me, you know? Yes. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that, that, I, I always go back to that in my, you know, when I'm reflecting on my own conversion and think, yeah, there was, there was something there. There was definitely um, not at the po moment that I, you know, it triggered sort of the thought, oh, yeah, maybe I should become a Catholic. Uh, but just that, uh, that experience of, of being drawn to the, the most sacred heart of Jesus uh, certainly had an effect on my life. Marianne, thanks for your question as well. All right. Uh, I think we're out of time for a straight talk here. Do we out of time for calls. We do have a, a couple of minutes left here before, okay. before break. All right. So uh, talking about, uh, actually, just a quick thought on a, uh, the, uh, the seven uh, sons who passed away. I was looking it up. Um, and the seven dolors, the seven sorrows of Our Lady. Mm. Yeah. Could be a, I, I love the prefiguring. Now, are you you're a scripture scholar, Father, if I remember some? Well, I, I have a Bachelor of Science in Bible, if that counts. Okay, there you go. That, that's making you a scripture scholar. There you go. Um, when you see those, those prefigurements of, of the uh, in salvation history of the New Testament um, as a priest, I'm sure you, you see those all the time. We see them as Catholics. Um, the, and, and, as, and as a, as a non-Catholic, who obviously the focus very oftentimes is all scripture because there's mm -hmm. no tradition, um, putting those two together. Mm -hmm. uh, how does that look for you as a just a um, growth of faith? Well, you know, I, I studied Bible in, when I was in college, in a, a Protestant college, and uh, really learning what the Catholic Church teaches and how the Catholic Church, uh, you know, interprets, it ties up all the loose ends That's and great. answers all the questions. Father, so. thanks so much for being on with us. Stay with us. We'll be back right after the break on Real Presence Live.